ousted for the first time in more than 100 years. I'll put it another way, in more than a century, an official in the United States has been barred from holding office and barred under the Constitution's ban on insurrectionists. This is in New Mexico, where a judge is ordering the founder of the Cowboys for Trump, Coy Griffin, to be removed from his position as county commissioner. The reason? Griffin's been convicted of participating in the January 6th riot. The judge writing, quote, Mr. Griffin engaged in that insurrection. The court therefore concludes that effective January 6, 2021, Mr. Griffin became disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment from serving. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That was CNN's Aaron Burnett discussing the first permanent ban against an individual to hold public office in the United States under the 14th Amendment since 1869. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Monday, September 12th. We're recording a day early this week as I'll be out for the next several days. Let's start with a bit more on that welcome moment of accountability for participation in the January 6th insurrection. So what happened is that Cowboys for Trump founder Coy Griffin was removed from his Otero County Commission role and banned from public office for the rest of his life because of his role on January 6th by a judge in New Mexico. He was permanently barred from office for taking part in a, quote, insurrection after taking his oath. The last time a public official faced similar removal based on the 14th Amendment was in 1869. Now, this is important both as a moment of accountability for someone who stormed the Capitol, but also because similar lawsuits are moving forward in other states against others, including several members of Congress who participated in, supported, or have been convicted of crimes associated with the January 6th insurrection. And many are looking at this case as a possible precedent, perhaps a sign that the slow grind of the law is finally catching up with those who stormed the Capitol over a year and a half ago. It also raises similar questions about Trump's ability to run for president in 2024, both around the application of the 14th Amendment tied to the insurrection and also his violation of the Espionage Act withholding classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. So we'll definitely be hearing more about this and about other similar cases in the weeks and months to come. Also in terms of accountability, in Michigan, a special prosecutor was just appointed to investigate allegations that a Republican's candidate for attorney general, Matt DiPerno, and several others illegally obtained voting machines and damaged them in pursuit of evidence of election fraud. And the current Michigan attorney general is pursuing a criminal investigation of whether two nonprofits controlled by the Republican Senate leader, Mike Shirky, violated campaign finance laws. So lots of movement around accountability this last week. So switching gears, second thing is that we are at that pivot moment that happens every cycle where we are shifting from primaries to the general election. So the final primaries of this midterm cycle are happening tomorrow. Delaware, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island will be holding their final primaries, with one exception. Louisiana holds a jungle primary on the day of the general election, and with runoffs in December if no single candidate wins a majority of votes on election day. But otherwise, all the standard primaries, the last ones, are happening tomorrow. The Republican primary for Senate in New Hampshire is the biggest election contest this week, with the more mainstream state Senate President Chuck Morse trailing retired Army General Don Baldick, whom the New Hampshire's Republican Governor Sununu called a conspiracy theorist extremist. And they're both fighting for the chance to take on Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan in November. 
Now, establishment Republicans have been noting that they are at risk of blowing yet another possible race with another flawed and extreme candidate. The other thing to watch tomorrow, just south in Rhode Island, there's very intense and pretty wide open races, even in these last hours, in the Democratic primaries for both governor and the second house congressional district in Rhode Island. Neither one are likely to lead to party switching for either of those seats but have implications around the direction of the Democratic Party, which everyone always looks at every primary on what can we interpret about where the country's going. But even as we finish up the primary season, absentee voting is kicking off for the general election. First in the nation, the North Carolina State Board of Elections received over 50,000 requests for mail-in ballots, and they mailed those out on Friday. That's a major jump from the 11,000 that were requested at the same point in the 2018 midterm cycle. So it's a growing trend, and we know that in 2020, actually, almost 50% of voters voted by mail versus in person. But the harsh rhetoric from Republicans could depress vote by mail. And the big question everyone has is every candidate, every campaign leader is trying to figure out who will and who won't vote by mail. How will turnout vary between mail and in person? But we are in the general election season. Voting has begun and it'll keep going for several months, and we'll be engaged in that as we head into fall. The other big thing to talk about today is the importance, again, of the state Supreme Courts in determining the future of democracy. So a couple of examples to lift up. They have real implications for what's happening in November and the future of some critical states. In Michigan, the state Supreme Court overturned three partisan deadlocks of the Board of State Canvassers. Michigan's Board of State Canvassers, by design, has two Democrats and two Republicans. So if they split, you're stuck and it goes to the courts. The Republicans refused to move forward any of the three ballot measures that were on the ballot for this year. But the state Supreme Court overturned all three and put all three onto the ballot. They unanimously put the term limit reform and campaign finance disclosure ballot measure and in five two rulings which included the four democratic nominated judges and one of the three republican judges they affirmed both the reproductive freedom and the promote the vote measures and said they should both be on the ballot and they rejected the very tiny technical grounds that republicans attempted to use to keep the measures off the ballot Also looking at the courts in Michigan, in the case brought by Planned Parenthood of Michigan, the statewide court of claims declared that the 1931 criminal abortion ban was unconstitutional, violating the state's constitution and permanently prohibited its enforcement by anyone in the state. Although in a sign of continued extremist actions in Michigan, you also saw last week Republican election deniers filed suit seeking to have the 2020 presidential election decertified and to hold a new presidential election. Not likely to move anywhere, but that also happened in Michigan. Now, over in Arizona, a similar significant pro-voter measure, like the Michigan Promote the Vote measure, would have been on the ballot, except their state Supreme Court upheld a series of technicalities to kick it off the ballot measure. That ballot measure would have safeguarded mail-in voting, expanded early voting, improved voter registration, prevented the state legislature from overturning presidential election results, and more. But a stacked conservative court ruled against it. Instead, there are a series of anti-democracy ballot measures that also were moving forward in Arizona. They would have been superseded by the pro-voter measure, but that didn't go forward. So instead, the only option that Arizonans will have is to uphold or reject a series of anti-democracy measures, 
One is actually trying to raise the signature threshold for new ballot measures from 50 to 60%, making it harder for the exact same type of measures to move forward as Republicans seek to prevent citizen democracy. And another that would add requirements for voters submitting mail-in ballots, requiring dates of birth and voter identification numbers, which opponents are claiming would add extra steps and really act as a deterrent for voters, making it harder to vote by mail and generally harder to vote overall. So we see this back and forth. We're going to see a few more back and forth in the next couple of weeks, but we are getting close to knowing exactly what will be on the ballot in every state around the country. We are now past the primary season. We'll be focused on the general election and we'll see what else comes up. It's always an intense time for American democracy in the weeks leading up to an election. So looking forward to talking with you next week. But for now, that's all for this week's review of developments in American democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, and I'll talk to you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.